Turn again to your Bibles, to the the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to read from verses 5 through to 9. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. Let's hear God's word. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, Because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Amen. Let's hear the word of God preached. We woke up recently and found ourselves living in a cancel culture that would tear out of our textbooks and indeed tear down monuments of important people in our history if they had anything at all to do with slavery. And under this same cancel culture, the Apostle Paul now stands condemned and canceled. Because his letters did not directly and strongly condemn slavery. So what do we say in response to all of this? Well, I'm going to be brief because this is a series on submission and not on slavery. But here's my short answer. Jesus Christ did not send the Apostle Paul to lead another slave revolt like Spartacus and others before him had done in the Roman Empire. He was not sent to overthrow the present political and social structures of Rome. He was sent to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, which lays the axe to the root of all evils, slavery included. He was sent to deal with the problem, not the symptoms. And it's the same reason why our missionaries that we help send to China did not go there and preach against the evils of communism, but instead went and proclaimed the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. Because man's greatest problem is not social, political, or economical, but spiritual. Fallen man is a slave to sin. He's a slave to the devil. He's under the wrath of God unless he finds in Jesus Christ his only and all-sufficient hope for heaven. He will be damned and tormented forever. And so as the apostle writes to the church in Ephesus, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's not theorizing about political science He's teaching followers of Jesus Christ how to live within the political and social structures in which they found themselves in the first century. And a large part of the real situation on the ground in the first century Roman Empire was slavery. 
as many as one-third of the population of some of the major cities in the Roman Empire were slaves. And in these young churches with babes in Christ, you had slaves and masters sitting in the same congregation needing to know, how shall we then live? So listen to what Paul writes to the believers in Corinth, and with this I rest my case. 1 Corinthians 7, 21 to 24, and verse 17 as well. Paul says, this is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Each one should remain in the situation which he was in when God called him, when you were converted. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you, although... If you can, get, gain your freedom. If, if you can gain your freedom, do so. For he who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's freedman. Similarly, he who was a free man when he was called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brothers, each man as responsible to God should remain in the situation God called him to. He is to stay in that place of life that the Lord has appointed him. So, you're a first century slave working for your master, and upon hearing the gospel, you trust in Jesus Christ, and you are saved. And your whole old way of thinking and living is now turned upside down by the gospel. In Christ, all things have become new for you. Nothing is the same. So how is that reality of being joined to Jesus Christ to affect your work as a slave and your relationship to your master? Well, having addressed the submission of wives to husbands and children to parents, Paul now turns to address submission of slaves to their masters. Verse 5 of Ephesians 6, slaves Obey your earthly masters. When writing to Titus, Paul's fellow worker who had been left on the island of Crete to straighten out things and to preach the gospel there, Paul writes to Titus in Titus 2.9 and says, teach slaves to be submissive to their masters in everything. There's our word, hupotasso. Teach slaves to put themselves under their masters in everything. And this is the same rule that I give to every church, Paul has told us. It wasn't just Paul. The Apostle Peter had the same message as he writes to the elect of God who have been scattered throughout the Roman Empire. He says in 1 Peter 2.18, Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect. So God's will is clear for the slave. Submit, obey your masters. Now, since slavery is not a part of the social structure, thankfully, anymore in the United States, what does this passage in in Ephesians have to do with us? How is it to be applied? Well, think with me. Slaves were largely the workforce in society. So these words find their closest application to those in the workforce today. And they have so been interpreted and applied 
in non-slave societies for centuries. It's a word to workers. It's a word to employees. And though you are not slaves belonging to your employer or your boss, you do find yourself under their authority while at work. And that means, therefore, that in that setting, you owe them your submission. So let's look at the kind of submission and obedience that employees owe to their employer. We're given both positives and negatives. I have three points. The first is you are to obey with respect. You see it right there. I trust you have your Bibles open to Ephesians 6. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, verse 5. With respect and fear. That was a part of the submission that wives owe to their husbands as well, wasn't it? We remember in chapter 5 and verse 33, it ends. How does chapter 5 end? Well, it says the wife must respect her husband. That's the kind of submission. It's submission with respect. It's the same thing with children, the kind of submission they owe to their, their parents. Honor your father and mother. Respect and honor. And so, employees, it's, it's not enough that you simply do what your employer tells you to do at work. That can be hard enough on its own, but you are to do what you are told with respect for your, your employer. And right away, we see that the Lord is looking at the heart. Indeed, all true religion is heart religion. God makes requirements of our hearts, not just of our hands and our feet. And if we have not heart in what we do, it is hypocrisy and a stench in God's nostrils. So it's not enough to hear the command of your boss and to go do it, muttering under your breath, what a jerk. No. That might do for him. But it won't do for God. Your obedience must be with respect and fear. Not a cringing fear of your boss, but again, this is that fear of God we've been studying in Sunday school, that respect that is due to your boss since you're under his authority. We keep bumping into this on this issue of, of submission. It's the key. It's to see that, yes, I, I owe submission to these lesser authorities because of the greater authority, the master in heaven. And so it is here with regard to employers. We owe them respect. Fear. Remember how this whole section on submission began back in chapter 5 and verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's our word, out of fear of Christ. So, so we submit, wives submit to husbands out of reverence and fear for Christ. Children submit to parents out of reverence and fear for Christ. We shouldn't be surprised then that we have that same thing said to us here, that this submission is to be done out of reverence for Christ. Indeed, in Colossians 3.22, Paul writes, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it with reverence for the Lord, in the fear of the Lord. So it's because we respect the Lord that we also respect his appointed authorities. He writes to Timothy in 
1 Timothy 6.1, it says, All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect. So consider your masters worthy of full respect. It, submission all begins in the mind, how we think of that master, how you consider them. You're to consider them as worthy of full respect. But you say they're not worthy of full respect. Oh, but they are, according to Scripture. Well, you obviously don't know my boss, my employer. He is not worthy of respect. I don't know your boss, but this passage says that you are to consider him worthy of full respect. So how do we untie this knot? Well, your respect is not tied to his behavior, but is tied to his position. We, we talk about respecting the badge, you see. It's not the person and their behavior is necessarily worthy. It could be very unworthy, the way they treat you, the way that they live their life. But their position is such that you need to consider them worthy of full respect because you respect the authority over them. So this obedience, this submission with respect doesn't only apply if you happen to have the good fortune of having a, a good boss. Uh, indeed, 1 Peter 2.18 says to slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are harsh. The word meaning overbearing, unfair, even crooked. It was Sarah who gave her Egyptian slave girl Hagar to Abraham to bring a child into the family. And that came back to bite Sarah as leaning on our own Understanding always comes back to bite us. And so when Hagar got pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. She had one up on her mistress. She had a baby and her mistress did not. And Sarah responded with evil for evil and mistreated her. So Hagar fled. She ran away. And the angel of the Lord, which is a name given for the Lord Jesus before his incarnation, the angel of the Lord found her in the desert and said to her, and notice how he identifies her, Hagar, slave of Sarah, what, where are you going? And she says, well, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah. And then the angel of the Lord told her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her. That's right. Hagar was to submit to a mistreating mistress. So that's our first point. Bad, bad bosses don't get you off the hook. It only increases the difficulty of giving the kind of submission that is pleasing to God. And just remember, husbands, your behavior is not always worthy of respect either, and yet the wife is to submit to you as unto the Lord, and so to do it with respect. So, number one, the kind of submission we owe is with respect. So, secondly, you're to work with all your heart. 
employees. And, and every verse uh, emphasizes the heart, uh, verses 5, 6, and 7. So verse 5, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart. In other words, let that respect be real. Let it be sincere, not hypocritically pretending to respect them to their face and then putting a knife in their back when you're talking to the fellas or the gals. No, but sincerely from the heart. Parents, you want your kids to obey with the right heart attitude. We saw that last week. You're required no less at work. It's not to be with duplicity, with double-facedness, but with singleness of heart, sincerity, with your heart all in. Verse 6, notice the same emphasis. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. It's to be an overflow of a heart that's in it. And don't miss the fact here at the end of verse 6 that obeying with all your heart at work is the will of God. Sometimes we make the will of God so mysterious, and indeed other times it is harder, but for the most part, we're told what the will of God is, and here we're told for a big area of our life, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Work with all your heart for your masters, your bosses. And then verse 7, serve wholeheartedly, not half-heartedly, not starting late and quitting early, not loafing. Not surfing the net on your computer or your phone. Not meandering around the office or the shop on your way to the restroom. No, it's wholehearted service. And not just when the boss comes by and is watching you, but for the whole shift. You've seen someone tear into a job with all their heart. That's what's being required here. The word is literally with goodwill. With goodwill. Again, it's a... It's a hard issue, serving with goodwill in your heart for your employer, not just caring about what I get out of this job, a paycheck, but rather working with goodwill, wanting his business to succeed and working in such a way as to make him better off for having hired you to bring him success. And when you, when you read that, you can't help but think of Joseph that Israelite slave down in Egypt who had been sinned against by his brothers, sold into slavery, and here he is. And I don't know what Potiphar paid for him, but it wasn't enough because everything Joseph did turned to gold. It made Potiphar a wealthy man. And that's because he wasn't sitting around moping and only giving the least amount that he could get by with. But the Lord was with him. And he poured his heart into service for Potiphar. He did it with goodwill toward his master. So there it is. Number one, this kind of submission is to be obedience with respect. We're to work wholeheartedly, secondly. And then thirdly, you're to work for the Lord, your heavenly master. Now, there's a lot of overlap in these three. And I, I had a hard time dividing them, but... They all emphasize the same point. It's the key to submission. 
And, and here it is again, you're working for the Lord. Verse 5, obey your earthly master with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Do you obey Christ with respect and goodwill? You're not a Christian if you don't. Now you're being told that's how you are to work for your employer, with goodwill, with all your heart, just as you do for Christ. I'm afraid Christ is too often the forgotten master on the job site. Oh, he's here with us in church, but we don't take him into the office, out onto the floor, into the plant, on the road, and yes, working from home. Slaves are going to have to give an account to their heavenly master for how they obeyed their earthly masters. And so will employees on how they served their employer. Verse 6, obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ. There it is again, doing the will of God from your heart. Slaves of Christ, you're working like slaves of Christ, his slaves. And so that's why we work hard in the absence of our earthly masters, because our heavenly master always sees us, and we're working for him. We live quorum Deo, before the face of God. Wherever we go, we are quorum Deo. We're, we're recreating before the face of God. We're sleeping before the, great, the face of God. We work before the face of God. And we are to be conscious of that as we go about our day. Indeed, as we go about our work, we serve like slaves of Christ because we are slaves of Christ. You see that? How many times does Paul begin his letters? Paul, a doulos of Christ Jesus, a slave of Christ Jesus. James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jude writes his epistle, a slave of Jesus Christ. Simon Peter begins his second epistle, a slave and an apostle of Christ. And the apostle John refers to himself in the book of Revelation as God's slave, God's servant. Believer, you too are the slave of Christ, the servant of the Lord. And you are that on your job. You've been set free from slavery to sin and Satan in order to be the slave of Jesus Christ, to serve him and his interests. And his interest follows you right into the workplace. And he has commands for you there. And in obeying those commands, you're to do it as unto the Lord. You're serving Christ, your master. That's verse 6. We come to verse 7. We see the same thing. Serve wholeheartedly as you were serving the Lord, not men. As if you were serving the Lord, not men. Well, are we serving the Lord are we, and not men? Or are we just to serve men as if we were serving the Lord? Well, again, Colossians 3, he writes to the church there in verses 23 and 24. Whatever you do, slaves, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. There you go. As working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Oh, so I serve as if 
I'm serving the Lord and not men because it is the Lord Christ that you are serving. Yes, that's why our service at work should be as if we were serving the Lord, for indeed we are. We are Christ's slaves, and we serve him at our jobs. Now, employees today working for their employers have it far better than slaves who were working for their masters in the first century. Uh, To be sure, there were always good masters and bad ones, just as there are good and bad employers. But your rights as an employee are far higher and and greater than the the, the lack of rights of first century slaves. But even so, what is commanded here far outreaches our abilities. It's why we need Christ to to render this kind of submission to another. You can't live the Christian life without Christ. You will need the sap, the grace, the, the, the supernatural divine power of Christ to live like this in your workplace. And if by faith you've rested your soul's salvation in Jesus Christ, you are a a branch in that vine from which flows supernatural divine energy to be able to do what God has commanded you to do. And so with the Lord and his grace empowering you, you can do what you otherwise would never do. Submit with respect for your boss, with working with all your heart and serving him like you serve Christ, for indeed, that's what you're doing. Your options are greater than the slaves had. Paul told them, if you can get out of slavery, well, do so. And you can lawfully get out from under your employer by fulfilling your responsibility, turning in your uh, two-week notice or whatever it is, and finding another employer to work for. But you'll often find that the grass is greener on the other side. And, and indeed, there is no such thing as a perfect employer, just as there's no such thing as a perfect parent or a perfect husband. But, but you do have that right. But while you are employed by that employer, you owe this kind of submission to him. So my question this morning is, who are you working for? The Lord or just men? If only for men, then you have your reward. It's whatever you see there written on your paycheck. However often it's given to you. There you have it. That's all you'll ever get. But if you are doing that work for your employer as to the Lord, then you've got far more coming to you. Because whatever is done to the Lord, for the Lord, unto the Lord, because of the Lord, he takes as having been done to him. That service done to him. And he will be no man's debtor. His rewards of grace far exceed anything in this life and far exceed the worth of our service. They're rewards of grace. But notice how this comes home to the slave, comes home to the employee. It's the first encouragement that we're given. I'm going to give you three. This is the first one, to encourage you in such service to your employer. 
Ephesians 6, 8, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he's slave or free. Do you see what's being said? The, the, the menial work of a slave, sweeping the dirt floor for his master's garage, if it's done as to the Lord, will not lose its reward. It's not just rewards for doing sun, teaching Sunday school, for, for, for being an usher, for, for cleaning off the sidewalks. No, there, there's, there's rewards for menial services on the job. Colossians 3, 23 and 24, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart is working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know, again, the same thing, you know this, that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. So your earthly employer, well, he may not pay you what you're worth, especially the way you work wholeheartedly when everybody else is loafing around out in the shop. They may not pay, they may not appreciate your work and all you do for them. They may not praise you for it. They may just heap criticism upon you and expect more from you. Ah, but your heavenly employer hasn't missed a thing you've done. Even when the employer on earth is not around and you have faithfully done it as unto him, he doesn't miss it and he will reward it in the last day. Are you consciously taking the Lord to work with you and working for him? You know what David said? I have set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. There's a setting of the Lord before us. We take him with us to work. It's just saying, being conscious of what is. He is with us. He never leaves us. And we set him there and we see him there at our job and we work for him. We work with him. We work to him. The average person spends 90,000 hours of his life working. It's about a third of your life. I wonder if you just view it as a necessary evil to make money and keep food on the table and kids in school. Are you redeeming that time by serving the Lord in it? How sad to waste so much time just working for men that could be daily piling up rewards in heaven if it were done unto the Lord. The same job, different pay, based on who you're working for. The Lord or just men. What a privilege. Do you see the, catch the motivation in that? You say, well, doesn't that make it mercenary? I do this to get that. Oh, yeah, you could have that idea. But there's a reason God attaches such blessing and reward. And it's to motivate us and to spur us. Don't, don't say, I don't need this kind of uh, reward business to, to motivate me. Jesus says you do. He gives this as a motivation for working hard. He knows how hard it is to work for masters that are not worthy in the way they're behaving. And so he rewards plentifully those of his children who do. That's a huge motivation. Let's redeem the time. Let's make it count for eternity. Only one life will soon be passed. And only what's done for Christ will last. And that's not just something we do here. It's what you do all week long in your work. Let that 
motivate you to submit to employers and work as unto the Lord. Second encouragement, the honor of your Savior is at stake in the way that you work. The honor, the glory of your Savior on earth is attached to the way that you work. Titus uh, is told by Paul in Titus 2, 9, and 10, teach slaves to be submissive to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that, here's the reason, in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Oh, you mean there's a, a direct relationship between the way I work as a slave for my master and the teaching of, of the God of salvation making that attractive? Yes, there's this one-to-one corresponding. You can work in a way to make the teaching ugly or you can work in a way that makes the teaching of God our Savior attractive, beautiful, that woos and wins and draws people to such a Savior. Again, we think of Joseph working for Potiphar. Hardworking, honest as the day is long, handling all of his finances. Would have been easy to stuff some in his own pocket. No, he's too honest for that. You see, Not stealing, showing yourself to be fully trusted. And that's what he was. He put everything into his care. Why? Because he was fully trustworthy. And that glorified the God of Joseph. What must his God be like that, that produces such a worker as Joseph? You know, when true revival swept through an Irish city in the last century with life-transforming power, those tough dockyard workers started returning tools that they had stolen from their employer. And there were so many that the employer had to build new sheds just to keep all the tools that were being returned. The honor of your Savior is at stake in the way that you work. Do you work in such a way that makes him attractive and his gospel attractive? Have you thought about the power of your witness in the way that you work? The manner of submitting and working you know, you know that that's radically different from the world's way of working. It's radically different from your own flesh and the way it wants to work. And that's what the world is. It's, it's the combined flesh. And it doesn't work like Jesus is telling us to work. And so there's this darkness and light. What a wonderful opportunity to make the gospel of Christ attractive. And the darker it gets, the brighter our witness gets. And the more we see this Protestant work ethic downgraded in our country, the brighter the witness of Christ comes when you go into that workplace and work is unto the Lord. These first century Christian slaves were on a mission to take Christ into their world, their work world. And so are you. Christ has appointed you. That's where his providence has you. And there you are to glorify Christ by serving your earthly masters as you do your heavenly master. The gospel is a powerful thing. Christ changes people in all their relationships, in all their circumstances, in the marriage we've seen, in the family, and now 
in the workplace. And the watching world is to see the all-surpassing power of God let loose in you who profess the name of Christ. Adorn the doctrines of God our Savior. Don't let your bad attitude destroy your witness at work. What a shame. Rather, adorn your Savior. You're on a mission. Remind yourself of that. Write it on your car, on your mirror as you go to work. You're on a mission, John, as you're on your way to work. And there is a word here for you employers and bosses. You, you have the same opportunity to glorify God in this world of selfish and self-serving employers. And, and it's in the way you treat your employees under your authority. It says, verse 9, masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there's no favoritism with him. So be the best employer with goodwill toward your employees. Provide what is right and fair. Treat them as your master treats you. What a powerful testimony for the Lord Jesus that is. And then there's one last motivation for the slave, for the employee. And it comes from the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. About the time your boss tells you something to do that you think is just too much. And you're about to lose it and to tell him, I ain't no slave as if it were something beneath you. Be careful, because it was not beneath the Lord of glory to become a slave for you. Philippians 2, 5 to 8. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, a nothing, and took the very nature of a servant, a doulos, a slave. He humbled himself, became obedient, obedient even to the death of the cross under God's wrath for sin. What a slave. What an obedience. What humility. What love. Therefore, God has shown his delight in his son's service, obedience with all his heart in it, with goodwill to his Father as he served him at Calvary. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the highest place, showing this is what someone deserves who becomes a slave for another and lays down their life for the good of others. If it's not beneath the dignity of God the Son to become a slave, to become Isaiah's suffering servant of the Lord, then may I never think of being a slave as something beneath my dignity, but have the same attitude in me as was in Christ Jesus. Did he become a slave for me? And by his grace, I will be a slave for him. We hear him say in Mark 10, 45, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then in John 13, we see him on the night of his betrayal in the upper room with his disciples, and he gets up from the meal, and he took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. You know what he looks like now? A slave. A slave. And what he does next was the lowest work of the lowest slave. And he goes around, and he starts washing the feet 
of his disciples. And one of them is a betrayer. And he washes his feet. And the whole picture is what he's about to do the next day on Calvary's cross when he will wash the hearts of his people from their filthy sins by dying for them. He took the place of a condemned slave to save us. The Savior of the world, a servant son from heaven. And now he's ascended to the right hand of God the Father, and he's still serving us there as our great high priest. Isn't that amazing? Even now, having been glorified, he's still serving. He's showing his wounds and praying, Father, look on me and pardon them. He's sending his mercy and grace from that throne of grace to help us in our time of need. The Lord of glory serving us as our helper. And if we have ears to hear it, when he returns in all his glory with all his angels with him to gather his bride, he will still be serving us. In Luke 12, verses 35 to 37, the Lord urges his disciples to be ever ready and watchful for his coming. Be dressed, ready for service, and you keep your lamps burning like men waiting for their master to return so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth. Whenever you hear those words from Jesus, I tell you the truth, you brace yourself and you take a deep breath because you're going to hear something that's pretty amazing maybe even unbelievable at first glance. I tell you the truth, when the master comes, he will dress himself to serve. He will dress himself to serve, will have his servants recline at the table, and he will come and wait on them. What is this? This is something not seen of a human master. No, you prepare. Even if you've worked all day, you prepare for me first. This is something far higher than what's found on earth. This is godlike. This is divine. You see, there is true glory in the voluntary servant role. That's why we feel better when we forget about ourselves out of the greater care for others. We were made for this. Indeed, we were saved for this. This is part of the very image of God. Seen in our Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect image of the Father. And so revealing to us the divine nature. What we see is that serving is at the very heart of deity. The glorified King Jesus at his coming, serving us, his people. Doesn't it make you love him more? And doesn't it make you Embrace that servant role more and want to glorify him by reflecting the same in our service and submission to others. Revelation 22, the last book of the Bible, takes us into the new Jerusalem as it's come down from heaven into that new heavens and new earth. And there's the throne of God and of the Lamb. It will be in the city and his servants will serve him. Okay, So we've read he's serving us, and and his servants will serve him. And two verses later it says, and they will reign forever and ever. 
Reigning and serving are not polar opposites in the kingdom of Christ. They are one. Reigning and serving. Jesus will be reigning and serving. We will be reigning and serving with him. We may need to adjust our conception of heaven to align ourselves with the truth as it is in Jesus. Few things are as Christ-like or God-like as servanthood. Let us then, in the workplace, glorify the God in whose image we have been recreated by faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. There's everything in our flesh, our Father, to push back upon the words we've heard this morning. It's, it's against our nature, it's our sinful nature. It's against our flesh, even as Christians. But we thank you so much for your word that commands us to do things that we otherwise would never do because faithful is he who called you who also will do it, that we find in the gospel and in Christ this grace to live a new life. And we thank you most of all for our Savior and the way that he embodied the servant role and the way that he served us there at Calvary, the way that he is now serving us at your right hand and the way he will serve us when he comes back again for us. Here's the true bridegroom serving his bride. Oh, make us as husbands, as, as children, as, as, ma- as parents, as masters. Make us to serve those under us. And when we are serving, give us the heart of Jesus and enable us in our workplace to glorify him, we ask in his name. Amen.